listen, in the 90s, I am so sorry I made fun of you guys for wearing WWE <laughs> bracelets. Everybody that's listening, I want you to hear me. I am so sorry. I did not know that some of y'all still need to be wearing those bracelets. I am so sorry. Please put them back on. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Dig News Streams podcast. I'm your host, Dave Capozzi. This week, I'm joined by my new friend, Robert Callahan. Robert is a prolific writer and an accomplished attorney dedicated to his practice at Callahan and King PLLC in the heart of Waco, Texas. With an undeniable talent for blending humor and insight, he takes the spotlight in the arena's three-ring circus of law, race, and religion. Robert's prowess extends beyond his legal expertise. He's a second-degree black belt in the venerable art of snark. Together with his wife, he revels in their interracial love story, a source of inspiration that has blessed them with three wonderful children, two insistent canine companions, and a mountain of student loan debt. If you want to keep up with the podcast, please subscribe to whatever platform you're using to listen right now, and you can find a consistent conversation happening over on TikTok if you search for my name, Dave Capozzi, and on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Dig New Streams Podcast. Without further ado, my conversation with Robert Callahan. Embracing righteous anger toward white Christianity and reclaiming our whole selves. Oof. Yeah. So okay, at its exciting. core, it's it's a guide to recovery from spiritual abuse. But mm. specifically, I, I want people to understand that like when we make a jurisprudential inquiry of white Christianity, it helps us to understand that complicity with racism is a form of spiritual abuse. Mm. And so the the book is also, it's designed to be a gathering and an exodus. Yeah. I want people to read it together. I want them to have sort of a sensory experience that they can hear and that they can feel. So I suggest different songs as a meditation throughout the book. Um, mm. At the end of some of the chapters, we talk about creating bonfires or like gathering around like a fireplace or gathering around like a fire pit and actually naming some of the things that have hurt us in white Christian spaces, writing it on a, on a log and burning it. Ooh. And so I, I want it to be an experience that everyone can feel together and come through together in community. Wow. And I just think there's so many of us out there. We're all siloed. We don't, so many of us don't have vocabulary for what we're feeling. We don't know if what we're feeling is justified, um, especially if we're taught not to question these things in our faith growing up. So I just want people to know you're not crazy. You're not mm. alone. Mm. There's three things that came to my mind there. I'm going to rattle them off. One, um, the, the idea of sitting around a fire, a friend of mine who grew up Seventh-day Adventist and wanted to become sort of get back to his roots, um, you know, as a black man who didn't know his ancestry, recently found out that his family and was from a tribe in Gabon, went back to Gabon, reconnected. And he said, he and his wife, both from the same tribe, actually, um, 
found fire talk to be really powerful. That's what they, mm. the way they described what similar thing where a big part of your healing uh, is around the fire and just mm. talking about these kinds of things. The second thing is um, just sort of connected is this idea of like uh, burning what's been given to you. Just like, it's like using this method of just, of connecting and then releasing it is just like very beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I have a question about your own relationship to this. I think you probably noticed this having sort of, um, you know, you're in these deconstruction spaces, but mostly you're, you know, talking about uh, as a lawyer, how these connect with you as a Christian, as, uh, as a black man. So you're also in these anti-racist spaces. I don't know if you've noticed this, but within deconstruction, there's typically, it's typically predominantly white, mm -hmm. predominantly um, people who now identify as atheists. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this thing that you're encouraging while you've de deconstructed yourself sounds like, well, maybe we don't have to go there. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out what healing looks like um, without saying like we're still connected to white Christianity, but like right. it's a different perspective for yeah. sure than what a lot of people see around ex-evangelicals. Right. Yeah. You know, those are, those are great. And I just, first of all, the image of sitting around a fire on a, a tribal basis. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. And as evangelicals, or if you grew up in the evangelical church, you know, every time it was time to cast something away, there was a fire, right? Like if you got your mm. CD collection of U2 oh. over here, <laughs> Guns and Roses, Aerosmith, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's time to create your parents find it. It's time for a bonfire, right? <laughs> man, man, he man went into the fire. Oh no, <laughs> not he man. Castle Gray oh, Skull no. was gone. That's hard. I'm sorry. It's okay. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I have stories, but not he man. Oh, <laughs> that is hard. It's too far. I know that but is the, the 80s. The 80s were a hard time to be an evangelical. It was, y'all. It was wild out there. Um, but the idea of fire fire talk that's that's mm. beautiful I, I love that and yeah. i talk about how like there there is something about like if you're at like a camp and a campfire there's something about just the authenticity of like you know there's a small group of people around these embers and just talking late into the night and mm. sharing just really hard things or giggling and just those are some of like the the most beautiful memories that you have if you've had those experiences and that's kind of what i wanted to duplicate and and you're right as it concerns relationships my relationship with the church i think that it makes complete sense when you grow up in evangelicalism and you start deconstruction and you're like, so all of this is a lot like, so this whole edifice that I'm sitting inside of, like, it's not just that, like the wood has rotted on the outside, but like yeah. the bones are rotten too. So like yeah. we, we've like the foundation, we've got foundation issues too. Like yep. this, this whole thing has to come down Yep. and it's really hard, especially if you don't have a safe place to try to rebuild those things to rebuild it and it not result in atheism. Right. Like how, like, I mean, that makes complete sense. Um, Absolutely. So, I mean, for me, I, I got to, to use an image, you know, you hear people worried about the slippery slope. Yeah. I, I slid off the slope and <laughs> scratched and clawed and I was hanging on by one frostbitten finger. Mm. And I had fortunately a couple of people that were 
close to me that were able to pull me back up. Mm. But I mean, I thought that I would never be able to get to the point of atheism. I was a breath away. Yeah. And yeah, yes, I know that feeling. And so I I completely relate with that. And I will never um, be down on someone for landing there. I just can't turn my back on God myself um, for a number of reasons. I, I just, it, he's been too good to me. Mm. And, and at the end of the day, it's kind of like the disciples said, like, where else can I go? You alone have the words of life. Ooh. And so what I have found, and I know that you've seen this is when you begin to deconstruct, if you don't also decolonize, you're going to run into other problems. Absolutely. Um, because Absolutely. you you can deconstruct and start thinking about the theological implications of things. But if you don't go so far as to decolonize, then like even your theology is going to come out bad because there's mm. theology that we've been handed that is specifically, I mean, just objectively is white theology. Yes. Um, and so we don't learn about like your James Cones, you no. know, in the process. And so there, there's a lot of things that I'm still catching up to. One of the things that I'll say about myself and one of the things that actually led to my deconstruction process, ironically, was listening to women, learning yeah. to listen to women. Yep. Because I found myself in 2020 saying things out loud that I had already been listening to women say for years and years. Mm. The the paternalism, the patriarchy, yeah. the I mean just I know better than you um like all these things I was like, well, I'll be darned. All <laughs> these <laughs> all these women in my life have been saying this this whole time. And I didn't recognize it. And yeah. so then when I started listening to women more, um, you know, it just started. And I have to plug uh, a shout out here because she's just so awesome. Jenny Kenny on uh, on TikTok, she goes by Ushi Speaking is just, All right. oh, I, I love what she has to say. And she talks about race. She talks about divesting from uh, colonialism. Um, but she also is a voice of a woman that has just spoken to patriarchy and how it shows up in our everyday lives. Mm. And so when you realize that that's true, racism and patriarchy walk down the beach together, holding hands is how one of my uh, colleagues said it. Love that. And um, yeah. And so when you, when you see that, you can't unsee it. Yes. And so you, you have to decolonize as you are also <sighs> deconstructing. That's so powerful. Thanks for sharing that, Robert. I, yeah. I, you know, when you think about these things going hand in hand and not being able to unsee it, one of the most frequent comments I get is people look, people are looking for racism, blah, blah, blah. It's like, mm. I don't know, like, <laughs> it's like when you get a new car, you just, you see it everywhere. Right. It's like, you know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't have a Camry before. Now I have a Camry and there's Cameras everywhere. It's, yeah. a, it's just like, you're not looking, you don't have to look for it. It's just mm -hmm. there. It's just your eyes. The veil's been over your eyes. Mm -hmm. And you know what, what it came down to for me, and I'm not sure that I've shared this on the podcast or in TikTok before I, as a pastor, I could have gone on teaching faith and the way of Jesus, as far as I understood it to this day, I could have done it. Mm -hmm. um, the problem that I kept running into, the more I had relationships with Jewish people, the more I had mm -hmm. relationships with people, um, who experienced oppression from Christianity, the more I realized mm. that Christianity was an oppressor's religion, mm. especially white Christianity. Sorry. You know, mm -hmm. 
Um, and so I could not, I did not feel like I could be a Christian mm -hmm. and practice a faith that was never, that was always intended for people to deal with my oppression. You know, and while there are Roman centurions in the scriptures and all that, I just couldn't find myself in a position of pastoring because mm. it just felt like I was perpetrating um, abusive systems. And so while I don't call myself a Christian, I do say I'm a person of faith who has mm. been deeply inspired by the life and teachings of Jesus as I understand them. And I always tell people that the reason I'm still a person of faith is James Cone. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I went to seminary at Gordon-Conwell, where you learn all the whitest theologians mm -hmm. from, from Calvinism down, you know, it's like, that's what you're learning. Mm -hmm. But then I got introduced to James Cone, and I mm -hmm. was like, okay, I think I can, I think I can understand it. I don't experience it. And that's where I'm, my journey is still at, sort of like mm -hmm. listening and trying to pay attention to that. And I wonder now, as someone who has been through this process of deconstructing for you, mm -hmm. um, what does community look like? Mm. What is faith in practice with other people, uh, it, whether it's around you or on the internet, or what does that look mm. like for you these days? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So what community looks like? I found that I had to create community. And it's one thing to try to find community, especially if you are behind um, for lack of a better word, enemy lines, if you are in very conservative geographic areas, mm. you're going to have a difficult time finding a community yeah. that is um, healing and safe for you as someone that's going through this questioning, deconstructing process. Yeah. And so when I was having difficulty finding that, I had to be intentional about creating it. So mm. I actually gathered people together who were like-minded and found ways to be in community with them, whether that meant just sharing meals together, just yeah. having friendships. We actually created a, a private Facebook group early on in the pandemic in order to wrestle through some of these things. I was fortunate enough to have found a church that was, was a great safe Harbor. And, and mm. so, um, you know, that was, that was huge. I can't imagine what it would have been like without, having that, but I think that it's important for us not to yeah. turn our wheels for too long trying to find that community. I think that we have to create the community. Yeah. Um, and you, know, you still it, have that in, per you still go to that church? I actually don't. Oh, um, okay. And so, and which is just also a testament to the fact that it's okay for a place to be a safe harbor for a season. Yeah. And it's okay for you. I think that we feel like we have to be married to congregations, especially <laughs> in evangelical, you know, commercialized Western oh, society, like where numbers are important. And, you know, the model of church means come to this place every week and hear the man of God preach from the pulpit. Definitely not the woman of God. though. No, right? no, no, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the man of God preaching from the pulpit, you know, and, and, and so like, it's okay to break that mold and yes. to reimagine what, what faith looks like. And so it's okay if yes. you're not a member of a, of the church, if you're going there and you're making connections and you know, you decide next Sunday, Hey, I'm going to go check out a different church. Like that should be okay. That should be safe. Um, I, I think to that point real quick, I, that was one of my biggest discomforts with planting a church, which is what I did. Mm. I felt like as soon as you become a staple in the community, you lose mm. your revolutionary power. Mm -hmm. You're, you're now a part of the system 
And yep. a community of faith patterned after the way of Jesus must necessarily be uh, an obstruction in many mm. ways to the, the system as it is. I, I wonder if that's sort of a connected thought that you were just sharing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's, we need to be countercultural and not just for the sake of being, you know, not just for the sake of being challenging for the sake of being countercultural, but I, I just think that we rely very heavily on systems and mechanisms that we were handed historically yes. that aren't necessarily the best ones. And we lack the imagination, I think, within Christianity mm. to to experience or to to build new, uh, to dig new wells, so to speak. Yeah. You know, to to build new edifices, to to create things that are different. Yeah. Um. You know, going Absolutely. back to what you were talking about, where you had difficulty considering perpetuating this form of Christianity. Mm. There's there are a lot of respects in which I feel like I've never actually met a Christian <laughs> and including myself. Like <laughs> I, I feel in some regards, like this thing that Jesus started, we've never actually really seen it successful. You know, like even, I mean, if you look at Paul, like if, if he wrote everything that he's attributed to having written then yeah. like we have to deal with his potential sexism oh yes you know or oh, yeah. like peter was low-key racist oh for sure <laughs> it turns out for know? sure he was so, like in one on one hand i feel like christianity is like a legend mm. like i've heard of it and there's there's remnants of it in society where like i can go to the museum and i can see the bones of this animal that we call a dinosaur, but no one's seen it. We know we don't know if it's quite right. And I can go to church on Sunday morning and I can see the remnants. I can see evidence, the echoes of this thing that was created 2000 years ago, but I'm not quite sure if it's quite right, you know, mm. and I'm not sure if I've ever actually seen it. Well, and so, so interesting. So I, 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 you know, that's what, so in, in terms of my faith, how that's lived out, I, you know, I'm just going day by day. I think that the big thing for me has been, I feel like the zealous pursuit of our sanity, of our mental health is an act of worship. Mm. And Oof. yeah, I give this example often and I write about this, which is like, if you are like a prisoner of war, you're taken into enemy territory and you're gaslit and you're tortured every day. And, you know, they, they say that for like the U S army, like they're only allowed to give their name, their rank and their serial number kind of. Mm, a thing. Mm. Um, that's the, those are the things that are true that won't change. And so like every day that they're being tortured, every time that they're being pumped for information, like that's the one thing that they can say that's true. That is beyond change. Mm. And when we are in a culture that is, you know, post-Trump culture that is increasingly um, just hell bent on trying to gaslight us and make us accept realities or things that are falsehoods that are, are as though there are realities. Yeah. Um, sometimes the only thing that we have, the only material possession that we have is our sanity in that space mm. and the ability to say, I know what is true. You know, I know love God, love neighbor. Like <laughs> when I was, um, when I was 21, uh, 22, I, I came back to Jesus. I was raised in the church mm. and 
I just, um, I wasn't a hedonist or anything, but like, I was just so out of practice, so to speak with my faith. And I didn't have community to, to live it in that. I remember the first thoughts that I had were just, Jesus loves me. This I know. Like that was the, that was just the, seriously yeah. like that. That was it. That and my father had made me as a young man, as a, as a boy, he had made me uh, memorize Proverbs three, one through 10. And so like, that's the, my son, forget not my law, but let your heart keep my mm. commandments. And mm. so like, those were the only two things about Christianity that I could wow. remember at that wow. point, just my mantras. And, you know, like, as I was learning to read the Bible, learning, like, you know, what am I looking for in a church? Like those were, that's what's my starting point. Yeah. Yeah, And so I, I just need people to understand that in this time where everything is designed to whittle away at your sanity, just having a basis, a basic premise, like this is what I know to be true about who God is. I may not know any scripture verses. I may not know any theology. I may not know anything about the difference between the Methodist and the Wesleyans or just what the, um, the Catholics and the Jesuits or whatever it is. But like, I, I know this Mm. and that's, and that, that, truth about God is a rebellious form of worship. And it's the only thing sometimes that we have when everything else has been stripped from us. Isn't any act of worship of the God of Jesus rebellion in the empire? It would Mm. have to be. Yeah. And especially when you're healing, because I love that you said something about our own sanity being like an act of worship, like Mm -hmm. fighting for our own well-being, especially in the tradition that you and I were brought up in Mm -hmm. that was about negation of your well-being it's you know this self sort of flagellation of just like Mm. i'm the worst i'm this terrible thing yeah um to fight for your love of self yeah is is an act of worship i love that yeah i've heard someone refer to it as worm theology Ooh, what's that i'm I'm no better than a oh yes yes so like brother so and such you just played that instrument so well well praise god because <laughs> i it can't be me it's all him i'm just the instrument i'm just you know like <laughs> i used to say that all the time i played basketball and baseball in high school and if i had a good game i'd be like you know glory to god you know and i just like not that there's a problem right with being with, with like genuine humility of like well you know i i work hard but i believe i was given some gifts beautiful all right yeah but like the lack of ability to internalize anything resembling i did that well yeah because pride goes before the fall robert you know? oh my goodness that <laughs> trigger alert <laughs> <laughs> We are so sorry to those that are listening. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I apologize. That yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> well, it isn't, isn't it? Those phrases, though, that I'm curious. Yeah. You know, it sounds to me like the book that you're, that you're going to be releasing is like a new. It's like a pathway. It's like a new pathway yeah. to experience faith that you're trying to discover in community, which it has to be. That's right. Yeah, exactly. I, I actually talk about creating new trails, like literally as pathfinders. And another analogy that is useful is this, this analogy of um, a ravine that Mm. separates the two sides. And like, we didn't create this ravine, you know, like we, we were just walking along with our community. We thought that we're all on the same page. We said black lives matter. They said all lives matter. And then all of a sudden there's this huge gap between Mm. us that we're discovering 
And that was always there. That was always there. Yeah. yeah. And so we're like, Hey guys, come, come across. Like, this is what a faithful reading of the gospel in our opinion looks like. Come on across here. The water's just fine. Yes. And you know, they're just refusing to, well, why don't you meet us halfway? You want us to meet you halfway over the bridge? Like, like half of racism, man, this is the perpetual struggle. The, there is no halfway with Jesus or racism or any oppression. There's no halfway. It's very confusing to me, and I don't know if you, you've, I'm sure you've given this much thought and experience where the, we were taught these concepts growing up mm-hmm. in the church. These aren't foreign mm-hmm. concepts, right? but the internalization of mm-hmm. them is the foreign thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right? You know, we, we make camp once we find community on our respective sides. Yeah. And one morning we wake up and the bridge is gone and we know we didn't cut it from our side. So there's Oof. no, there's no point for us to just sit here at camp anymore. Like they know the path. They know how, like, they're going to have to come down the ravine. They're going to have to cross over whatever they need to do. They're going to have to come over here, but we can't wait for them no. to figure it out anymore. And so we've got to create a new path and, and mm. go on that path together. But yeah, this, this That's idea good. of like, I mean, these were the, the concepts that we were taught that we internalize. Um, I mean, just from the very beginning, um, here's a frustration that I had. So I, this, this one church that we were at for over 10 years, and it was a typical fundamental evangelical white church. And what I mean by that is, I mean, it was very diverse. It's probably the most diverse church in the city. It's also the largest in our city of Waco, which is like that church, I think has like 4,000 people. Waco, Texas. Yeah, Waco, Texas. Yeah, so I that's I'm in Waco, Texas. Our county is about 225,000 people, something like that. Wow. So there's this this particular church. It's over it's over 4,000. So it's sort of like the local equivalent of a mega church. We were yeah. there for more than 10 years, served in all kinds of different capacities. Our children were baptized in that church, like mm. you know, on and on. There comes a point where, so we we were taught this concept in that church, and it was a satellite image. There was a round circle and in the middle was Jesus. And then there was like these spokes that come off from it. And then there were these smaller orbs that you're laughing. I'm wondering if you've seen this before. (laughs) No, but I've probably seen something like it. Okay. But there was like, but basically it's kind of like a hub and a wheel kind of idea, but like on the, on the outside, we're like all these different areas of society. So like in science, in medicine, in education, in business, in law, in politics, all these different areas are supposed to be touched by Jesus. Jesus is the center and all these different areas are affected. And so I learned that in that church and I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So like, you know, Jesus is the umbrella over which all of our other aspects of life fall under. Okay, great. So then 2020 happens. Right. And I'm like, guys, like we, like we cannot just be silent and just be sitting by and watching this all happen because Jesus is supposed to be show up in all these places. Right. And so all of a sudden that's, that's called critical race theory. Yep. Like you, you, you're saying that you want to apply this idea of love God and love neighbor to this situation, this particular situation over here. No, 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 no. That's crazy talk. Yep. That's Marxism. Yep. 
you know, and I'm like, wait a minute, but we talked about this guys. We, we, we're supposed to show up. So like, that means like we show up in policing and that means that we show up in politics. And that means that we like, no, 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 no. That's all dangerous. That's intersectionality. That's, you know, and so, man, I, I have never grasped the concept of how Christians can simultaneously say those like two things on one hand that this is this is intersectionality and this is inappropriate but then at the same time they want us to apply those things in other areas of of life it's just there's one circle that they can't apply it in right um yeah right well man one i love your bridge analogy i think that's really helpful imagery um and it's like hard to with that imagery, it's, it's hard for, you know, once you've gotten to the other side, it's mm-hmm. hard to not like want to like reach back and like, yep. oh, come, come. Mm-hmm. but you, you know, you can't. And at the same time, right. also there's these concepts, right. Of, um, take up your cross and follow me. Yep. There's all these concepts of self denial for the sake mm-hmm. of the kingdom. Yeah. The problem is right. The indoctrination mm-hmm. that these these primary issues that aren't talked about in the scriptures more than maybe two or three times mm-hmm. explicitly like gay marriage or, or abortion mm-hmm. um, have become the primary issues where the, when the issues that Jesus spoke about are, are not even considered. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I don't know f- about for you when this process started happening for a lot of white evangelicals, the move was like this. And I'm curious your connection to this move which started with the sort of emergent church. Do you remember these guys like Brian McLaren, uh, Rob Bell was around this yeah, time, Rob Bell, late, yep. two, late 90s, mm-hmm. early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And then out of the emergent church was a lot of like white Gen Xers. Yep. Then came what we're now experiencing. They mm-hmm. gave birth to this sort of new wave mm-hmm. of deconstruction. And it's just like the floodgates have opened and everyone's gone. The emergent church mm-hmm. mainly stayed. Um, there was people like Shane Claiborne who like pa- carved a different way. I don't know if you know Shane Claiborne. All these white evangelical leaders who were pushing back up against these problems we were having. And here's my theory why. Because in the 80s, we burnt CDs, right? Yeah. Like we not like burned them, like copy them. We like physically right. burnt them. Yeah. Nothing that was part of the way we experienced faith in Christianity had to do with Jesus. Nothing. Mm. I didn't learn the teachings of Jesus till I was in my twenties. And I grew up as an evangelical Pentecost. You name the tradition. I I grew up in it. And I think that's what, that's what this wave of white evangelicals leaving is part of. They get older. They're like, hold on. Who's this guy that I never learned about. Mm -hmm. And by that point, it's too late. Jesus in their minds of art has already done too much damage. Mm-hmm. I'm curious for you if you mm-hmm. this wasn't your path with so Jesus was never sort of connected to the oppression or to the bad stuff that you experienced in the religion was he no yeah you're right that that's absolutely true and in fact it seemed like as you try to say hey guys this is what Jesus is about that you get the pushback I will never forget when I was still on the hellscape that is Facebook <laughs> That I wrote a I wrote a post and it was just a very simple post and it was Jesus greater sign than Paul. Yes. And it was a hundred comments deep. Yep. I mean, and I was getting into it with this guy that was Presbyterian. Ooh, like forget just, that. 
and and I mean I'm like and, and not a PCA too, not PCUSA, you know. And so like he's still like, Calvinists. Right. And <laughs> and I'm like, how are we debating about this? How are we arguing about like it, everybody that came after Jesus? If you think about this again, this is kind of the jurisprudential view of, yeah. of religion. Like primary sources. There's for those that can't see, I mean, on my wall and often on lawyers' walls is just this stack of these old books that have all these these cases in it that we learn about and those cases are the authority and like the further back in time you go like if that if there's nothing that changes that authority then that becomes like the primary source right and so like i mean if you go back far enough in american jurisprudence we're talking about the constitution so like this is the thing from which our our understanding of all the other laws flow Mm. and so when we're talking about jurisprudential inquiry, I mean, Jesus is the primary source guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's like this, this whole thing is his Christianity is his thing. It's his idea. Like it. And so like, if Jesus conflicts with Paul, guess who wins? If Jesus conflicts with, you know, Peter or like what, what, whoever your author is like Jesus wins. I mean, and people don't Mm. seem to get that this is something that I learned even recently is that like Jesus contradicts things in the old Testament, you know, like him sitting down and saying, you have heard it said is him saying, I there's, there's authority out there and I could cite to it, but I'm telling you as the primary source, you know, this is, this is how, and so like he's, it's not like he's quoting, you know, like Buddhism versus like his way right. of like, right. He, you know, he's, you've heard it said this way, but I'm yes. telling you now, yes. this is the way it is. And I think that's uh, something that we don't understand actually as, mm-hmm. as 21st century Christians is that they, and I learned this from some rabbis that I used to work with when I was a pastor, that they could do that and still be family. Mm-hmm. So Jesus did not, you know this, he wasn't trying to not be Jewish. He wasn't trying to start a new religion, but he was, he was offering a revolutionary um, approach to life, which isn't dissected from religion. Like we've got this religion and then life thing that we have in America and, and Imperial Christianity for Jesus. It was our, our forefathers said these things. I'm telling you this, Mm-hmm. I'm telling you this as a rabbi, that's the way they engaged with each other. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, lawyers, I mean, this is like, this is definitely the way you all function. It's like <laughs> interpreting the law. It's interpret, mm-hmm. And because Christians see law as legalism, mm-hmm. they lose the capacity for dialogue. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus can disagree with Paul and stay within Judaism. Mm-hmm. I can't disagree with Paul and stay a Christian. Right. 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 So what happens is we point to Jesus because Jesus absolutely has different things to say than Paul. He has a different gospel than Paul. Unequivocally, he has a different gospel than Paul. Mm -hmm. And so I can't side with Jesus and remain a Christian because Christianity is an orthodoxy belief system, whereas Judaism Mm -hmm. is more like what you you can be in a a United States state citizen and have different opinions about how to interpret the law. Um, you can't do the same thing within Christianity. It doesn't work. One's in, one's out. One's a heretic. One's an orthodox believer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where your bridge analogy is even more powerful. All this, like, 
if you don't have this foundation of jurisprudence and law, it's actually very difficult to understand Jesus. Mm. Very difficult, I think. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can find it. But I remember that recently someone said that Jesus was woke. They're saying Jesus is woke and weak. Yeah, Christians are that's what it this. was. And um, that it's because they're, they finally are learning who Jesus was and what he stood for. <laughs> and yeah. they don't like him. <laughs> they're finally yeah. admitting they don't like him. It was the Christianity Today editor. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah, that that Jesus is liberal and weak. Yep. And and so like yeah, um, when you when you have an agenda and you have a framework which is you know Christianity as you understand it without Jesus, mm-hmm. that that everything fits within that framework and can make sense, then you can exclude Jesus from it's somehow incredibly so impossibly so <laughs> that you you can exclude <laughs> Jesus from the teachings and still have what you believe to be an orthodox religion that you call Christianity and it's just it's nuts and and this yeah. is the thing that um my wife is so wise she she pointed out to me that Jesus we don't see examples of him disciplining not yeah okay I mean, he's always teaching. He's always teaching from a place of love. Yes. But like we, we don't see like, even, even if you want to say, well, he, you know, went through the temple and turned over tables. Like, I mean, that's, that's not him disciplining someone. That's not him saying you're a sinner and yeah. this is the penalty for right. your sin, your lifestyle. And so, you know, who you're married to, who you're sleeping with, who you're, you know, like we don't see him do that. The other thing, um, and Gary Thomas talks mm. about this in his book, uh, when to walk away. And that was a, another big inspiration for me in my writing, which mm-hmm. is that when, when Jesus is talking to someone and they're not vibing with what he has to say, he doesn't go chase after them. Yeah. It's not like, well, well, well wait, 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 no, you don't need to hear what I'm saying. Like more. No, no, no. Like, no, like, yeah, I, I am the way, the truth and the life. Like, I mean, so right. yeah, peace. peace. <laughs> I love the, I love the story of, I, I, probably cited it 40 times in my TikToks of who the guy that's called the rich young ruler, Mm -hmm. where obviously we know, Mm -hmm. you know, he says, no, he's not going to sell his possessions and come to the poor. And Jesus looks at him with compassion as he walks away. Mm -hmm. And I just, for me, that's a really powerful image because Mm -hmm. he wants all of his people to be free. And he Mm -hmm. and he knows that the thing that's keeping this guy from freedom is his possessions and his greed. And he, and I think that's where like we miss it. That's where it's like, well, I can continue to have compassion on the people who are connected to me because I once was one of them. I once walked away from the invitation to life, you know? Mm. And now, now I think that that's where it's so hard. Like you'll throw life rafts, <laughs> every now and again, right? I love your imagery. I love it. Um, you know, while you're digging this new structure for this new structure, you're like, you know, you're going to put some, some little tea lights out for people to find you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. and I, and I just, I think that's so important and difficult while also just being like, I said, let, I let my yes be yes. And my no be no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And and we're still creating a path for community. There's still mm-hmm. an opportunity for them to follow. There's still an opportunity for them to like come to the, but what I found is like some people can't hear it from you. Right. 
you know, right. like there's this so like there's is in the closer that you are to them, you know, family members, you know, it's, it's the same thing when Jesus is like a prophet is not without honor, except for in his own home. Like this, yes. some people can't, it's not that you're writing them off forever. You know, mm-hmm. it's just that, and, and God hasn't written them off. It's just that you can't reach them no. and you can't wait for them. No, you know, so we, we've got our own thing that we need to do. And and I love that you use the, um, the story about the rich young ruler. I love what you've taken from that. I never saw that before. Mm. One of the things that I love about that passage is that, so first of all, the rich young ruler comes to him and this is from Matthew's account and says, you know, how, how do I enter into uh, eternal life. How do I have, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And so then Jesus um, says, okay, so you got to keep the commandments and he starts rattling him off. He says, (laughs) which ones He's like, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Those six things are all horizontal. Yeah. Nature. You know, like there's still like, you know, love the Lord, your God, hero, Israel, the Lord, your God, like, I mean, that that's pretty important, but like he starts, (laughs) that's pretty important. He starts with the, he's not talking about the vertical relationship. He's talking about the horizontal relationship, our relationship to one another. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't get to the other ones. Right. Like the, he, the, the man interrupts him and says, you know, all these I've kept, which do I still lack? And so then Jesus says, go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor and then come follow me. Still hasn't talked about vertical relationship. So what I think is really interesting mm. is the one time in all of scripture that we hear mankind asking God how to have salvation. Mm. God tells him, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. It's it's about loving people. Yes, yes. Like it, the one time you you can talk about the 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 two thieves that are on the cross, and you can talk about you know like, you know the 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 conversation that Jesus has with the one, but that's not him asking how do I get salvation. Yes, the one exactly. Time in the Bible that man humanity asks God how to have eternal life. What we get is love neighbor. There you go. You know? And it's, so it's too it's too simple, Robert. That's the <laughs> problem. No, it is. It's too simple. It's too like um and simple meaning like not it's not easy to do that. Mm. Meaning it's like, no, it, it's gotta be more complicated because then everyone could do it. Mm. What's it we can't it's gotta be exclusive. Mm. Right. And I think that's where if you just are saying love your neighbor, well, then a Muslim could go to heaven. Mm, uh oh! Watch out! I, yeah. I mean, I I find what you said is so true. The source of information is always something to be considered. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I because of what I stand for, I'm automatically aligned with all these things that I actually don't align with. So, like mm. CNN, MSNBC, Marxism. Like, I don't watch any of those things. I don't subscribe right. to Marxism. But because of what I speak about, I'm mm-hmm. those things, so I won't be listened right. to, right? Mm-hmm. So if I quote the literal like words that Jesus uses to say mm-hmm. what his criteria for judgment are, mm-hmm. which are, did you visit people in prison? Did you clothe the naked? Did you feed mm-hmm. the poor? Did like did you do those things? Okay, you're mm-hmm. in. Did you not do those things? Okay, you're out. 
Like mm. the question I have for someone who's still in community and building the way that you are mm -hmm. is what does that constant pushing and pulling and prodding look like at this level? Mm. It is for me, the quandary that I never, that I, the last community I was part of was pursuing, but it gets very fuzzy and it's not sustainable financially. Mm. So like you can't, you can't have a mega church with the kind of faith you're talking about. Right. No, you can't. Right. So who, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. That's the yeah. question I'm most curious. And I'm assuming you've asked and wondered more about it than I have at this point. Yeah. And I have, I, I think, and this may feel like a cop-out, but I think in some regards that the journey is the answer. Mm, that's good. No, it's not a cop-out at all. You know, I, I feel no. like the, the whole point is that like, we're not, we haven't perfected this whole thing. And so that, you know, Jesus is trying to show us, like get us closer to it. And he's modeling, he literally has come to us to model it for us. And so we don't have to talk about this in a vacuum. We don't have right. to talk about this without any context or any picture of what it looks like. Mm. I mean, we can just keep going back to, we can literally ironically go back to what would Jesus do? And, <laughs> you know, again, another nineties thing. That's good. Yeah, that's right. And I listen in the nineties, I am so sorry. I made fun of you guys for wearing <laughs> bracelets. Everybody that's listening. I want you to hear me. I am so sorry. I did not know that some of y'all still need to be wearing those bracelets. I am so sorry. Please put them back on. <laughs> <laughs> you would have, you would have, you would have liked Shane Claiborne. Then he had like, who would Jesus bomb stuff during the first Ooh. Gulf War? You know, it actually brings back us back to what you said earlier that I think is quite powerful. That we've never seen Christianity. Okay. There's two things to that I think are powerful about what you're saying. One, I think it's true because what we've seen visibly is um, the thing that Jesus said not to do, which is when you do something good or when you uh, do this act of righteousness, don't blow your horn into the marketplace and be like, hey, I just fed a homeless person, right? The communities that we've never seen, that we've never heard of, that have been doing justice and haven't been on the news for it, haven't been telling people that they fed homeless people or visited people in prison or, or fought for justice reform of some kind, those communities have always existed. Yeah, We just don't know them. And mm -hmm. so this is what's hard for information age, mm -hmm. that because yeah. we don't know where they are, we assume they haven't existed. Right. But they've actually probably been following the way of Jesus all this time, mm -hmm. which is yeah. like, we're doing this, but you don't need to know. I'm confident those communities exist and I'm confident that's the thing that we've been thirsty for, mm -hmm. for since we became captivated by Jesus. Yeah, that's good. I, and I think that that's where you get into the, the need to see that, uh, you know, white Christianity doesn't own the monopoly on what faithful Christianity looks like. There are other expressions that in some regards, not necessarily perfectly or in all regards, but in some regards may be closer to that primary source. And so, yeah. you know, looking at the historically black church, um, you saw how like this was a community that had to integrate their faith with social action yes. because they were a marginalized and oppressed group. And so the church became the nexus and the center of, of the community. And it was a place where people were getting literally fed, but then they were also getting spiritually fed and the communities were being organized. The Latino church communities, like very much, you know, family is, is, is so important. And just like the, the idea of honor of, you know, like just the, the different 
family dynamics. Like those are churches that are not going to have um, huge masses that are coming to the congregation every Sunday. There's no fog machine. There's no laser lights. <laughs> um, they're probably not playing your favorite, you know, uh, mountain song or whatever the name <laughs> of the, you know, you know who I'm talking about, I sure do. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, but, the, but these models are out there. And again, when we, when we divest ourselves from the idea of having to be bound to one congregation, one um, type of like one denomination, um, then like we can hopefully see different beautiful aspects in the mosaic of, of what God wants the body of Christ to look like. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope this conversation inspired some new thoughts or questions within you. Until next time, peace, my friends.